And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. Staple self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360 will continue to celebrate St. Patrick's Day with the Hallmark Playhouse presentation of O'Halloran's Luck, starring Edmund O'Brien from 1948. Then Fibber buys some Irish tweed on part one, of Fibber McGee and Molly from 1947. With me to help present these radio classics is my executive producer and engineer, Mike Costello. What's up, Mike? Hey, Carl. How's it going? I'm good. Are you a big St. Patrick's Day guy? Do you I've, dress in uh, green or anything like that? I mean, that? I'll wear a green shirt. I've, yeah. been to, I've been to the South Side Parade when they used to do that. I don't yeah, know, they turned the uh, the whole uh, river and lake here in Chicago green. Yeah, I don't know how I, the heck they do it. I'm never down here for that. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, celebrate in our own way, listening to some St. Patrick's Day type radio show. Sound good? Fair enough. All right, let's tune in to the Hallmark Playhouse. Let's go back to October 28, 1948 for O'Halloran's Luck starring Edmund O'Brien sponsored by Hallmark Cards. Here's part one of the Hallmark Playhouse. Remember, a Hallmark card when you care enough to send the very best. Tonight, from Hollywood, the makers of Hallmark greeting cards bring you Edmund O'Brien in Stephen Vincent Benet's O'Halloran's Luck on the Hallmark Playhouse. Each week, Hallmark will bring you Hollywood's greatest stars in outstanding stories chosen by one of the world's best-known authors, the distinguished novelist, Mr. James Hilton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is James Hilton. Tonight on our Hallmark Playhouse, we take pride in presenting a story by one of America's most distinguished writers, Stephen Vincent Benet, whose death at the early age of 45 was a tragic loss to our time. Already, however, he had written several stories which have earned for him an honored place in the history as well as the literature of America, for Benet wrote with deep feeling about the growth and greatness of the nation, and it is his interpretation of the virile threads that made the pattern of America which give his stories their distinctive flavor. He loved to write about the plain people of America, their day-to-day deeds and their heroes. Tonight we have chosen a story called O'Halloran's Luck, in which the atmosphere of old Boston and the expanding West are happily combined. And another thing that is particularly appropriate for us to remind ourselves is that Benet was one of the first American writers to write directly for the radio, and some of his contributions to this medium have made radio history. Well, we're now about ready to start. And we're privileged to present Edmund O'Brien as O'Halloran. Hallmark Playhouse, starring Edmund O'Brien in Stephen Vincent Benet's O'Halloran's Luck. Tim O'Halloran was my grandfather. To Boston he came by steerage, just after the middle of the last century. A farm boy in his early twenties, braving the Atlantic to come to the new world to regain the long-lost O'Halloran luck and make Kitty Malone 
his wife. As the shore of Boston came in sight, and then its streets and houses, Tim wondered which of the precious buildings held his darling Kitty. Kitty has a fine talent. Yeah, she was never meant to be a servant girl. Married to Mr. Boyle, she won't be. He's got money in the bank. God willing, it'll be a fine match, old Kitty and Mr. Boyle. Come in. You! What brings you here? Tim O'Halloran. It's me, all right, Tim O'Halloran. Only two hours off the boat and straight to the Malones I came. You shouldn't have barged in like this. But, Mrs. Malone, sure, I've crossed the great ocean to have Kitty for me wife. Your wife? Old Kitty? Of course. Since we were children, back in Clonmelly, everyone knew we were for one another. Of all the brazen devils, you, Tim O'Halloran, without so much as a penny to your name or a job talking about marriage. Tim, Tim O'Halloran. Oh, Kitty. Kitty at last. Oh, Tim, Tim. Kitty Malone, have you no shame? And with your intended Mr. Boyle sitting in the parlor. Show him to me, Kitty. I'll toss him to the street. Not so fast, me buckle. Father, please. Let me talk to Tim alone. That you may do, Kitty. So long as you tell O'Halloran straight out, you've got a chance to marry Mr. Boyle and end your days of slaving as a house servant on Beacon Street. Come alone. Don't look at me like that, Tim. It's they who want I should marry Mr. Boyle. But you, I... I don't understand. A, a servant girl? Slaving with mop and bucket in the new world? It's true. I'm a maid servant. The new country isn't like what they said back in Clonmelly. There's work to do. Hard work. Work? People work here in America? Sure, didn't the section of the parish home tell us the streets of Boston were paved with gold and, and riches were to be had for the asking? They were wrong, Tim. There's no gold here without work. Then, then you mean a man must have a job? Aye, a job, Tim. But there's lots of work, darling. Well, if that's the case with you here in Boston, but I'll there, go... there are no jobs in Boston, Tim. You'll have to go to the prairies. The prairie? Out on the prairies, them that's building the railroads is hungry for strong Irish arms. And leave you here with Mr. Boyle? I'll wait for you, Tim O'Halloran. I promise. You'll find O'Halloran's luck out there and come back for me. O'Halloran's luck. It may be hiding out there on the prairie. You'll wait, Kitty? I'll wait, Tim. I promise you. I'll go then, Kitty, to the prairie for a job building the railroads. Goodbye, Tim, darling. I'll pray for you. I'll be back for you, Kitty, dear, when I find O'Halloran's luck. It's worth all day for sugar in your pay Down behind the railway And in the carrier's trill And brass and fire Oh, Hannon! Oh, Hannon! Oh, tool the foreman's wanting you! They're crying for rails up ahead, oh, Hannon! Come on, get him over on you! A man's got but one back and two arms, oh, tool! If you'd not be wasting your strength fighting all day and dreaming of Boston in Kitty Malone all night, this should be in place! <laughs> ah, you slave driving Kerry Bob Trotter! I'll show you! Oh, you will, will you? Come up to me, I dare you! Oh, straight back, oh, Hannon! Or you'll never find your luck! Break it up! Break it up! The engineer! Visit huh? him! He's coming! You, O'Halloran! Fighting again! 
That'll cost you one day's pay. And the next time it's back to Boston you go. Now get to work. Neil! Neil up ahead! Come on, O'Hara. It's cards we're playing. How many? Oh, he's dreaming of Kitty Malone. And so I am, O'Toole. To get the misery of the freezing prairie out of me brain. I squandered a year of my life in this murderous prairie lugging rails. And what have I got to show for it? Give me three cards and I'm raising you ten dollars. I'll see you. That's thirty-four dollars you're betting, O'Halloran. Three queens. McGinnis? Kings, O'Halloran. Four fat kings. I told you, Tim. You'll never get back to Boston now. Well, tonight I know it's true. O'Halloran's luck will never be found. I'm walking back to camp. Walking? Why, you'll freeze to death. And what if I do freeze? There'll be no more torturing thoughts at night and breaking my back by day. Ah, poor O'Halloran. The black Irish mood comes over him when he's wanting Kitty Malone. Tim O'Halloran, you're a fool of a man. For all your strong back and arms. Not all the pukas, banshees, and leprechauns of Ireland could find your luck for you here, you idiot. And Kitty'll not wait forever. Carmen McGrook! What's that? Carmen McGrook! A woman. Out here on the prairie. Carmen McGrook! There it is again. It's not the cry of wolves. What's this? What's this? A little shoe. A shoe with a silver buckle. Sure, if this was happening in the old country, I'd swear it was a, a leprechaun shoe and start looking for the pot of gold. Find somebody from the drawer, a shoe! Be the piper that played before Moses. Am I daft? I thought I heard a voice speaking. Oh, you did! I'm here, over here, you gum in the frozen bush! Help me out! A child. But your voice is old. Ah, a child! With this long white beard! And do these ancient clothes and shoemaker's boots mean nothing to you? By faith and belief, you're a leprechaun. You, you've come to find O'Halloran's luck for me. Uh, you're a man, stop your silly talk and lift me out of here. There, I've touched my leprechaun. Now then, where'll I find my pot of gold, worshipful leprechaun? Pot of gold? <laughs> And do you think I'd be freezing in this prairie if I'd a pot of gold? But your worship, by all the legends of Ireland, a leprechaun should show his mortal finder a pot of gold. Look at me tattered clothes, O'Halloran, and these cheeks hollow with hunger, and stop bothering me about your pot of gold. Well, here, here, get inside my coat. Oh, thank you, O'Halloran. I know you're a clan milly man now. Be your kindness. Tell me, tell me how you came to be here on the freezing prairie of America. It is a sad story that befell me. I was lazy Brian. I hated work and lay abed with six tall harpers playing for me. St. Patrick laid a curse upon me for me laziness and changed me into a leprechaun until I served the servant of servants. Serve the servant of servants? It's centuries I've been looking, but never yet have I met the servant of a servant. Until I do, I'll never be free. But tell me, what are you planning to do with me? You're a great responsibility. But since you asked for help, you must have it. Come, I'll take you back to the railroad camp. A leprechaun in a railroad camp? Well, let's see now. I I could say you were my boy, Nevew Rory. Nevew Rory? With this long beard? I'll take care of that. Come back to the camp, 
the bunkhouse, and my razor. Hold still, Rory. Hold still, or this razor will be the end of you. There. There, smooth as a baby. A few more strokes. Be quiet now, will you? Be quiet before you wake the foreman. Uh, what's the crime about, O'Halloran? Good evening, O'Toole. Hold that, will you? A boy! Oh, I see. But that face. Aye, true. He's been sick. Crossing the prairie alone from the old country. And he's wanting work. Work he wants. Me? I never said Shut your mouth, Rory. We're short of a water boy, O'Halloran. And you'll sign him in, O'Toole? I'll watch out for him with the crew. Bring him out in the morning. Now keep quiet and good night. Work? Yeah, I'm a dawn. I told you I hate work, despite it. You heard me, six back-breaking days of work each week, and on Sunday you wash your shirt. Oh, never. Not me. It's not for work I came from Ireland, O'Halloran. You'd rather be with the wolves, Rory? Oh, uh, no, 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 not that. But then drill, the... you terrier. Drill. Big Tim O'Halloran has left his sweetheart, Kitty Malone, in Boston to seek his fortune working on the railroad being built across the prairie. Instead of finding his luck, O'Halloran encounters a leprechaun who needs help. Shaving off the hungry leprechaun's long white beard, O'Halloran dresses him as a small boy, passes him off as his nephew, and gets him a job as a water boy. Riding on the rails, not building them. Enjoy it while you can, Rory. The foreman's waiting for us out at the end of the line. We're to start the new section. <laughs> That's going to be misery. The new section. Now, how do you know it's going to be misery? Well, didn't I tell you? Those fools of surveyors laid out the new section of the line where there's hidden springs of water under the right of way. What? And when we started digging the roadbed, oh, oh, there'll be the devil to pay. And how do you know about the hidden springs, Rory? Ah, and why wouldn't I know? Me, that for centuries has listened to the waters running underground. True, true, a leprechaun can hear hidden water. But, but what shall we do? Shift the new line half a mile to the west. And you'll strike a hard roadbed. Here we are, Rory, the new section. All out and start clearing away the brush. Come on, get a move on, O'Halloran. Oh, uh, could I have a word with you, O'Toole? It, it may save us some trouble. Trouble? The only kind of trouble I know is the kind O'Halloran makes. Now, in the new section we're starting, there's water, hidden springs under the right of way. Then I suppose you've got a near of a leprechaun to know of such when the engineers have approved it themselves. Mark my words, O'Toole, it's true. There are springs and you'll do well by yourself telling the engineer. I'll do just that. I'll tell him the great clod of an engineer, Tim O'Halloran, told me. Get your shovel into the dirt. You're sure you won't come along with us to the tavern, O'Halloran? I've got to teach Rory his reading and writing, McGinnis. Me? Quiet. I'll slap the words into that thick head of yours. Ready, McGinnis? Good night, O'Halloran. You're getting too steady for good company. What do you mean telling them it's me you're teaching to read? It yourself is learning the words, O'Halloran. Get to bed, you black-tongued rascal. Now, what am I to do? Sit and watch you. You could be thinking of the ways and means of carrying the steel rails faster and easier, like I asked you. Oh, that? Huh, nothing to it. Well, you're saying you know now. Well, if the engineers would have the steel rails move faster, let them use two donkeys, one at each end. Two such beasts can carry five times the load of humans. You, you know whereof you speak, Rory. With me own eyes, didn't I see the donkeys fetch the great stones to the hills of Ireland centuries ago when the castles were built for the kings? Come in. Well, Aaron, glad I caught you in. I'm Clayney, the engineer. Aye. 
The foreman told me about your saying our new section was surveyed over Hidden Springs. A clever work, O'Halloran. You saved the company a lot of time and money. And they should be shown some gratitude. Rory. Uh, me little nephew Rory, Mr. Crane. Well, how do you do, Sonny? O'Halloran, I want you to take over Gang 5 tomorrow. Gang 5? Well, you mean... That's that... right. You're a foreman from now on. <laughs> I like a man that uses his head. Say, can me nephew come with me? I, I have to look after him. He certainly can. Ah, thank you, sir. Uncle Tim, why don't you tell Mr. Claney how you figured out the way to carry steel rails faster and easier? That's something I want to hear. Go ahead, O'Halloran. <laughs> You torturing <laughs> infidel. How can you sit there laughing when you know the memory of Kitty hangs like doom on me? <laughs> Quit your wailing and peeing, O'Halloran. Uh, <laughs> Just because Kitty's mother wrote you requesting that you do the family a, a great honor and stop writing Kitty letters. <laughs> stop your laughing, you demon. I'm laughing at a gun that had let a cold letter keep him from his love. A railroad man at that. A man with a new contract with pay in his pocket and money in the bank. <laughs> By the piper. But you've hit it right, you queer little creature. It's back to Boston we go in the morning. I'm off to claim Kitty Malone for my wife. Yes, yes, coming. Hello, Mrs. Malone. Tim O'Halloran. Malone, quick. O'Halloran. What is it you want? Kitty Malone, your daughter. No, not that door. Please, her intended Mr. Byler's in there. Kitty, my darling Kitty. Tim, they told me you were dead on the plains of the West. In a great pity he was not. Tim, please, don't hit him. I saw him trying to squeeze your hand, Kitty. You're leaving, Boyle. A bad penny turning up never made a Boyle run off, Mr. O'Halloran. Please, gentlemen, this is my house. Sorry, Mrs. Malone, but it'll all be quiet in a minute. No, don't, Tim. The police! I'll have the police here on you, Tim O'Hanlon! You good-for-nothing laborer! Now Mr. Boyle will never show his face again, never! And he'd better not. The shame of you trying to give your daughter to a horse car conductor. And she might be marrying a... a future railroad president. A railroad president? Oh, Tim. What's he to show for honest talk, I ask? This, Mr. Malone, a new contract. And this bank book? I'm... I'm a railroad man. I knew it, Tim. It's come... You found O'Halloran's luck. <laughs> Perhaps you'd be more comfortable talking, you and Kitty, <laughs> in the in the kitchen. I'll take care of Boyle. Uh, if Mr. O'Halloran is staying for supper, he's more than welcome. Make a bit of tea for him, Kitty. Tim. Tim, Dad. Kitty, I thought this day would never come. Oh, hold me, Tim. Tell me everything that happened. That's the first portion of the Hallmark Playhouse. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of March, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Boston Blackie Volume 1 featuring 12 detective adventures. Boston Blackie Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99 but is yours for half price, only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Also on sale during March is X-1 Volume 1 featuring 12 stories by some of the greatest writers in science fiction. 
X-1 Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for half price, only $9.99 via digital download this month only. In April, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during March. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order. And while you're there, download an episode of Suspense starring Cary Grant absolutely free as our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to the Hallmark Playhouse. You'll love the West, Kitty. It's the commonplace. Oh, don't stop, Tim. Keep talking. It's like a dream. I've told you everything, Kitty, since the day I walked out of here two years ago. Everything. You really found O'Hanoran's luck. And by yourself. Who could that be? It's late. Get me in. I'm hungry. Oh, Kitty, darling. Uh, there's one thing I forgot to tell you. Hey, open the door, O'Hanoran. It's me. Well, hey, how do I look, Uncle Tim? I've been shopping all over Boston. Uncle Tim? Who is this child? Kitty, dear, I, I I forgot to tell you, this is my nephew, Rory, that lives with me. How do you do, Rory? Welcome to Boston. Uh, won't you have a bit of cake? Ah, thank you, Kitty, I will. Have you made up your mind to marry me, Uncle Tim? Hold your tongue, Let Rory. Let the lad speak his mind. Yes, Rory. Tis I that will be your aunt. Ah, sure, now, isn't that good? I'm thinking you'll make a good home for us once we're used to me ways. Rory. Is that the way it's to be, Tim? That's the way it's got to be, Kitty. Rory is... Is my responsibility, but you're free to say you'll not have me. Will you live with us, Rory? Well, we'd be glad to have you. Kitty, you're sure? Oh, of course you're sure. Thank you, Kitty Malone, O'Halloran to be. And you're lucky, O'Halloran. For had you denied me then, your luck would have left you. Now the luck will stick to both of you for the rest of your lives. And I want another piece of cake. Queer lad you are. I'll fetch more cake. I should break you into bits for speaking like that. Ha! Huh? Your only nephew. Tell me. Tell me now. Was your wife ever in domestic service? What if she was? Who thinks the worse of that? Oh, not I. For I've learned about mortal labor since coming to this country. It's a noble thing. Do you intend to serve this wife of yours and honor her through the days of your wedded life? That is my intention. Why? Then... Command me to tie your shoelace. Tie my shoelace, you black-hearted, villainous anatomy. Free! Free at last! I've served the servant of servants. O'Halloran's luck is free and I'm free. Oh, I'm glad for you, Rory. And and will you be going back to Ireland? Oh, no, no. Ireland's a fine place, but this new country is bolder. A man's a better chance here. I'm off to the great mines of the West. Some other poor countryman of ours is out there seeking his luck. As you were, O'Halloran, I must go to help him. Oh, there'll be a terrible space in my heart for you. Good day to you, Tim. Not goodbye. Oh, I've not the heart to bear it. No, no. It is not goodbye, Tim. When you christen your firstborn, 
I'll be at his cradle. And so with your sons' sons and their sons, for O'Halloran's luck has just begun. He, he's gone. But O'Halloran's luck is found for keeps. Kitty, I forgot to tell you the strangest thing of all that happened to me while I was gone. About Rory? Aye, about Rory. It seems one night when I thought you'd gone forever, I was walking all alone down the prairie. And that was my grandfather Tim's story of how he found his opportunity in the new world. When he became the president of the railroad, he named his private car the Leprechaun. For that matter, they say that when he took his business trips, a small boyish fellow would turn up from nowhere at some odd stop or other, and he'd be let into the car at once, while the great of the railroad world were kept waiting in the vestibule. And after a while, they say... Should there be singing from inside the car? Now here again is James Hilton. I think you ladies and gentlemen will agree with me that Mr. Edmund O'Brien did a splendid job as O'Halloran in Stephen Vincent Benet's O'Halloran's Luck. Mr. O'Brien, on behalf of all those who make Hallmark cards, I want to thank you and Dan O'Hurley, who took the part of the leprechaun, for treating us to such outstanding performances. Thank you, Mr. Hilton. I, I like very much being here with you. You see, you people in the Hallmark Playhouse have set such high standards that you make it very attractive to be here. Uh... I might say, though, that your habit of doing things well doesn't surprise me. Not when I realize that Hallmark had the reputation for fine greeting cards long before there was radio. We are happy indeed if you feel we're carrying on in the Hallmark tradition. And now that you've expressed yourself as liking the things that bear the Hallmark name, we think you'll like what we have in store next week when we present our radio version of Mary O'Hara's memorable story, My Friend Flicker, starring the popular young motion picture actor and winner of a special Academy Award, Claude Jarman, Jr. Until next Thursday, then, this is James Hilton saying good night. Tonight's story was adapted for radio by George Corey with music composed and conducted by Lynn Murray. Our director-producer is D. Engelback. Edmund O'Brien will soon be seen in the Warner Brothers Technicolor production, Fighter Squadron. Look for Hallmark cards that are sold only in stores that have been carefully selected to give you expert and friendly service. Remember, Hallmark cards when you care enough to send the very best. This is Frank Goss saying goodnight to you all until next week at the same time when James Hilton returns to present Mary O'Hara's My Friend Flicker, starring Claude Jarman, Jr. This program came to you from the Hallmark Playhouse. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's the Hallmark Playhouse from October 28, 1948 with O'Halloran's Luck, starring Edmund O'Brien. Also in the cast, we had Dan O'Herlihy with James Hilton as our host, sponsored by Hallmark Greeting Cards, as heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. 
In just a few minutes, we're going to tune into part one of Fibber McGee and Molly. But I want to remind all of our listeners about our main sponsor, Remind Magazine. This magazine, folks, if you have not ever picked up an issue of Remind Magazine, you are really missing out because this is a, a tremendous magazine all about nostalgia. You name it, they have it in this uh, 65 to 75 page uh, magazine each month, full color. They have puzzles, they have games, they have articles. I mean, you name it, they have it. They talk about movies. They talk about your favorite TV shows, radio shows. And I write an article called Radio 360 in each issue. And uh, for this uh, March issue, I'm talking about Lucille Ball. I call it Hollywood Loved Lucy. We talk about her radio show and then her TV show. It also has our Hollywood 360 schedule in it. Um, all kinds of great stuff. And look who's on the cover. We have Wonder Women. You have Sally Field, Audrey Hepburn, Linda Carter, Oprah Winfrey. We have Loretta Lynn and Princess Diana, all wonderful women on the cover of the March issue of Remind Magazine. Now, how do you get this magazine? It's really, really easy. You can go to any Walmart store or any Barnes & Noble store, and on their magazine stand, they will have issues of Remind Magazine. You can pick one up that way. But the best way is to go to their website and subscribe. You can save about 60% off the newsstand price by going to their website, which is remindmagazine.com. Very easy, remindmagazine.com. They're our sponsor of this show, and we'd love it if you would support them. Check them out. You will not be sorry. This is uh, the best blasts from the past are in Remind Magazine. So check it out, remindmagazine.com. All right, time now for part one of Fibber McGee and Molly. Let's go back to May 13th, 1947. This is called Smuggling Irish Tweed. It stars Jim and Marion Jordan, part one of Fibber McGee and Molly. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Gene Carroll, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. You wouldn't think a man could get into much trouble simply walking from 79 Wistful Vista to the Elks Club at 14th and Oak Streets, would you? Well, if that's what you think, you don't know our Mr. McGee of Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> a cocker spaniel, and her name was Little Nellie. Used to roll upon her back so he could scratch her on the stomach. <laughs> oh, the monkey and the coconuts. Gotta get that pivot tooth tightened. <laughs> Getting so I hiss like a skillet full of salt pork. If I ever get it. Hey, buddy. Who said that? Me, Mac. Over here in the doorway. Huh? Oh, hi, bud. If this is a stick-up, you need a little more experience. I'm flattered in the copper's arches. Nah, 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 this ain't no stick-up, pal. I want to do you a favor. A likely story. Guys, don't stop guys in doorways to do guys favors. You think I just come in from Peoria on a load of hay or something? <laughs> Not you, brother. I know a city man when I see one. And what I got here wouldn't interest no yokels. 
What do you mean? What do you got? And if you're going to try and sell me a genuine sable coat that you smuggled out of Russia in a bucket of borscht, <laughs> you're barking up the wrong citizen. Look, Mac, that hot burst stuff is strictly a racket, see? This is legit. Come here. I don't want to broadcast this. Okay, but I don't... I've been waiting here all morning for some guy to come past that looks like he knew a real hand-woven Irish tweed when he seen it. Irish tweed? Yeah. Hand-woven? Yeah, yeah. No kidding. Three bolts of the finest homespun Irish tweed that ever come out of Donegal, pal. Frankly, I, uh, smuggled it in, see? In that case, include me out, bud. Smuggling is illegal. It's cheating the government. Look, Mac, leave us be logical. Who is the government? The government is the people. Who is the people? Me and you. If we cheat ourselves, who cares? <laughs> I got three bolts of Irish tweed you can have for peanuts. Me mother needs the money. Where you got it? Down the alley in the empty your rubbish can. Mm. Come on, let me show you. This is the greatest bargain. So we walks down the alley, Molly. Yeah. And when he lifts the lid off of that empty rubbish can, there it was. Three bolts of the most beautiful Irish tweed you ever scratched your fingers on. Look at it. Hand-woven. Mm-hmm. He says I could have the three bolts for ten bucks a bolt, and I played it cagey, see? I says it's too much, pretending I wasn't interested. Yeah. So he says if ten bucks a bolt is too much, I could have, I could have all three for thirty-five bucks. <laughs> so I grabs it. <laughs> Dearie, remember that picture in the photo album of you as a little boy? Playing horse with a harness around your shoulders and your brother Mickey holding the reins? Yeah, but what that got to do with this... Your brother knew you better than I do. He played it safe. I don't get the... McGee, this so-called Irish tweed is not worth the thread to make it into fishnets. It's junk. Oh, you think so, eh? You think this guy would have risked smuggling it in from Ireland if it wasn't worth good dough? How do you know he smuggled it in from Ireland? He showed me his mother's picture that he was going to send the money home to. (laughs) How do you know it was his mother? It said so right underneath the picture. Whistler's mother. The guy's name was Patrick Michael Whistler. Listen, my little pigeon. <laughs> Whistler's mother is a famous painting. Yeah. If her son were living, he'd be 113 years old. Oh, by George, he don't look it. <laughs> he handled these, these three heavy bolts of tweed like they were nothing. <laughs> I'll bet he did, all right. What's done is done, dearie. What are you going to do with it? Make a few bucks on it. Sell it to a few friends. Ought to be 25 yards to a bolt. That's 75 yards. Sell it for maybe 10 bucks a yard. That's $750 minus 35, 715 bucks profit. Wow, what an investment. Let me see that cloth again. Here, take a look. You see how loose wove it is? You see them little twigs and stuff in it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see why Ireland stayed neutral in the war. (laughs) Nobody dared get into an argument wearing stuff like this. Well, you women don't know much about tweeds. That's strictly a man's material. It's outdoorsy. Well, it can't go outdoorsy too quicksy for measy. You wait and see how it makes up, kiddo I better measure it and see how much I can keep for myself You got a tape measure? There's one in my sewing basket upstairs Lena will get it for you Oh, swell Hey, Lena Oh, Lena I got the tape measure right here, Mr. McGee I've been checking myself and I'm a perfect 36 (laughs) Lena, you are a 36, huh? Just exactly, honey 30 around the middle and 6 around the neck (laughs) 
Yeah, but Lena... Oh, I always had wonderful proportions, like the Venus de Mildew, people said. <laughs> you know, I won a bathing beauty contest once in Cleveland. You did? I was Miss Shaker Heights of 1926. <laughs> I had a real good offer from the movies, too. Oh, not really, Lena. An offer from the movies. Yes, they wanted me to play opposite Barbara Stanwyck. Oh. They said they'd never seen nobody as opposite Barbara as I was. <laughs> But did you ever actually work in pictures, Lena? Well, not actually, no. I didn't think it was dignified. They just wanted me to be a standby. Stand in? <laughs> yes, a stand in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not undignified, Lena. Lots of stand-ins have become stars, you know. Well, I wouldn't have, honey. They wanted me to stand in for a horse in the Skip Along Hassidy picture. <laughs> Gosh, and I knew I'd never get to be a horse. <laughs> Oh, you're a little dark for a Palomino, Lena. I'll say. Hey, take a look at this Irish tweed material I just bought. Beautiful, eh? Is that Irish tweed, Mr. McGee? Yeah. Well, goodness me. Wouldn't my papa love some of that? He would, eh? Mm. Was your father Irish by birth, Lena? No, by extraction, honey. After he had his teeth pulled, he had the most beautiful brogue you ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, call me unless you want something. Hey, Molly, I just measured this cloth. It's only 60 yards, but at 10 bucks a yard, that's 600 bucks. You know, the cloth I got from the guy in the alley? Yes. Not bad for a morning's work, eh? Look, dearie, 60 yards of cloth will make an awful lot of suits. And in this case, I do mean awful. <laughs> but what makes you think anybody will buy it? Because my friends know clothes, that's why. Take Wilcox, for instance, snappiest <laughs> dresser in town. He'll knock me down to get four yards of this tweed. He'll probably knock you down for just suggesting it. <laughs> And Doc Gamble. Now, there's a guy who really needs a new suit. He always looked like he'd got dressed in the wrong upper berth with the train pulling in. I don't know, McGee. He goes to the best tailors in town. Yeah, he goes there. And you know what? They give him a 25% discount if they don't have to put their labels in his coats. That guy could get nine fittings on a $300 suit, put it on, and get pinched for vagrancy outside the shop. Why, if he ever... Come in. Well, heavenly days, it's the good doctor himself. Come in, doctor. Thank you, my dear. Hello, Bucklewart. You look well pleased with yourself today. You must have had Faultless in the Prinktus. No. No, he got tweeds in the alley, doctor. I beg your pardon? Tell me something, Cebu. Cebu? Elephant boy. <laughs> I don't like to get personal, but did you see the Prinktus? <laughs> I don't like to get personal, but how much did the upholsterer blackmail you for that slipcover you're wearing? He doesn't like to get personal, he says Oh, that's all right, my dear I see so much politeness in the course of my professional day that his vulgarity is rather refreshing Thank you What was the question again? Gargantua? <laughs> Gargantua That wasn't in the Preakness <laughs> I was asking, my dear medico, what you had to lay on the line for that double-breasted awning you got on. That beach umbrella with sleeves. I think that's a very handsome suit, McGee. Needs a little pressing, perhaps, but nice material. Frankly, my boy, it's none of your business. But this suit set me back $150. It has a concealed pocket in the vest where I carry a loaded revolver. So if you have any more insulting questions, I suggest you precede them with a brief prayer. I'm not being insulting, Fatso. I'm going to do you a favor. That's what Hitler said just before he marched into Poland. 
Well, show him the goods, dearie, and then jump back. <laughs> goods? Take a gander at this bowl of hand-woven Irish tweed, Docky. Imagine yourself in the Easter parade wearing a suit made of that. <laughs> in the Preakness? Yeah. <laughs> Why, you'd have every rich millionaire in town breaking his leg so he could get to know you. Mm-hmm. Irish tweed, you say? Yeah. Yeah, they made it strictly for export, Doctor. A proud people, the Irish. I see what you mean. <laughs> Where'd you get it, Sonny? He bought it from a man in a doorway. From a guy that smuggled it in, butcher boy. Going to sell it at a sacrifice to a few close friends. And I haven't got a friend that's any closer than you are. Ten dollars a yard, doctor. I'll take three yards. What? You will? You mean you really like this material, doctor? For my purpose, it's perfect. You see, I frequently have calls late at night. Have to drive out into the country. Bad weather, bad roads. Oh, I get it. You want a material that's warm and wears good, eh? No, when I get stuck in the mud, I like to have something to throw under the wheel. <laughs> Send it over to me any time, McGee. Good day. And that's the first portion of Fibber, McGee, and Molly from May 13, 1947, starring Jim and Marianne Jordan, sponsored by Johnson's Wax. It's heard on NBC. Let's take a break. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's the conclusion to Fibber, McGee, and Molly from 1947. Then a really good mystery on Lights Out called Bon Voyage, hosted by Arch Obler from 1942. You will love it. We'll see you next time right here on Hollywood 360.